This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. A bunch of Game 2s tonight, four of them. Bolts and Maple Leafs, Rangers and Devils. The Seattle Kraken, up one nothing over the Colorado Avalanche. They've already got the split. Can they go home with the stranglehold? And the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Sean Reynolds uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sports that joins me now. And uh, Sean, first of all, thanks so much for uh, for taking time out of. I know game days are busy. Uh, thanks for taking time out. And the first question is courtesy of Elliot Friedman, who asked, "Is Sean up <laughs> or down?" So, what is it, Sean? Up or down? I, I don't I don't know what that question is supposed to mean. Now I'm going to say I'm up. Uh, well, you're, a good time you're, being you're in Vegas. You're in Vegas. You're you're in Vegas. Are you are you lighter or are you heavier in the pockets? Okay, I I do I get it, and that that is how clueless I am. I I never gamble. I never even think of gambling, so I am oblivious. I walk through casinos not because yeah. I'm trying to get to money machines, because they are the quickest and most direct route to the arena. Gambling does not register in my mind. Yeah. I haven't touched. I, I haven't touched anything. Okay, so you're like me because I don't gamble. Like when I'm in Vegas, I go to see either fights or shows or sporting events. Yeah. And looks like we may be seeing some baseball uh, there. Hey, really quick, what oh is what goodness. is the buzz about uh, about baseball right now? After that note from the Oakland A's. Well, this town's just getting everything, isn't it? I mean, they started off with the hockey, and and why not? Hey, you know what? If they, if there's a town that deserves it, the way that they embraced this hockey team here, uh, I was here for the very first game yeah. that they played. I was on assignment for that. I was here when they knocked off the Jets in 2018. They've embraced hockey in this city. They talk about it everywhere. I had wondered if when the Raiders came here, that would kind of knock mm-hmm. uh, knock the Golden Knights down a little bit. It hasn't seemed to do so. So I mean. I think here uh, they're doing a great job supporting their team, so it's a more the merrier kind of thing. I can see why a team like you know the A's, although I hate the idea of long-established markets losing their teams, I can see when there is a team that feels it's struggling somewhere would look at Vegas and be like, that's where we want to be because the fans here have done everything they can to make it an appealing place to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Okay, um, a couple of things here with, with the Winnipeg Jets. On a scale of 1 to 10... And uh, I, uh, again, I'm going to be that guy, Sean. I remember watching Morgan Barron when he played at St. Andrews College in Aurora. And I I did. Like, he's always go to St. Andrews to watch, and I still do, to go watch Dave Manning's crew. And there's Morgan Barron, who was a big part of that squad for a couple of years. Uh, How big a cult hero is Morgan Barron now? Oh my goodness! Uh, they love them everywhere, and I mean, it's it's the sports world entirely. I mean, everything with the right? PTI was talking about him yesterday. Around the Horn was yeah. talking about him yesterday. Um, I mean, the the number sure helps. The number of stitches that he took sure helps. Now, I, I think this is you know <laughs> the the old days of when you got a stay when got stitches and your cut was about one inches. That was about five to six stitches. I think those days are gone. These players yeah. now are getting stitched up by plastic surgeons. So there are micro stitches this is this is plastic surgery on the run not uh, not someone grabbing yeah. a needle and thread and throwing you back out on the ice but uh hey uh he was talking with us after the game uh, mark shifley walked by and said look at that battle scar like this is one of those things that not only has made him a bit of a cult hero in the winnipeg jets locker room which is kind of feeling it you know that the second last game of the season they went to mm-hmm. war with uh the minnesota wild and adam Lowry had that fight with Ryan Reeves. This is a team now that's kind of bought in and it gets so much easier to go and block that next shot or take that hit when you look in the stall over and see a guy with zippers running up and down his face. So not only in the dressing room, not only kind of in the sports world, but back in Winnipeg, you get the sense, you know, there's going to be a whiteout. There's going to be a hero's return, not just for the Jets, but Morgan Barron. If he wasn't a household name in Winnipeg before this, he most definitely is now. Does it not make it really simple for the coaching staff now? Like when you have someone like Morgan Barron who just took a, uh, you know, just took a skate in the face, is it not easy for Rick Bonus to walk around the room and say, like, to your point, look at Morgan Barron. Look what this guy took and came back to the game. Get out there and do this. Yeah, it's easier than that because they don't have to say it. 
right? Like they do, he doesn't even have to say, look at this. The, the, the players are already there. They're already reacting yeah. like that. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, when he got back on the bench, Gary Galley was sitting in between the, excuse me, working in between the benches. And he, you know, he said afterwards, we were you know, talking about it. Just, you could see the life on the bench and how excited the players were when he came back out. Uh, like I'd said, this to me is a continuation. That mindset is a continuation that the Jets really locked in in that second last game of the season uh, where they're just all on board for each other. The, the Jets media took a, a video of Adam Lowry coming off the ice after fighting Ryan Reeves. And you can see Ryan or Adam Lowry is not there in that moment. He is, his eyes are glossed mm. over. He is not there, but his teammates are around him. Brendan Dillon, who'd been ejected from the game earlier, is slapping him on the shoulder. Axel Janssen, Fialbi, giving him a big pat on the butt. Yeah. Like everyone is locked in. Everyone's got each other's backs. It, it is a real interesting case for these Winnipeg Jets because not just in kind of getting their lines locked in at the end, getting their offense locked in. This really was an 11th hour Winnipeg Jets team that is coming together and gelling in almost every area of their game. And that area that you're talking about is highly important where guys have each other's backs and are willing to run through walls for each other. And this all just kind of locked in right yeah. at the last minute the the timing of this for the jets could not be better you know one of the things that i i, I like teams that do this and there are some that you know don't particularly like it lula amarillo has never been you know a fan of the nascar numbers on the back but the winnipeg jets aren't shy about whether it's you know pierre-luc dubois number 80 kyle connor 81 mark shafley double nickels uh need rider gets 62 right now morgan Barron wears number 36 but if there ever was a reason for him to petition to change the number to 75 <laughs> isn't this it right now sean i mean i would think so uh do you want to boil yourself down to that maybe he'll need to maybe the surgeon will have done such a good job that we won't see that scar on his face so he won't be able to go around and brag mm-hmm. about it so he'll need to brag about it uh by throwing the number on his back it's funny again talking with gals it's a, he's such a good resource to have during a series and i mean gary galley has gone through some some heavy reconstructive surgery from pucks and elbows and sticks uh throughout his career um in the old days you wore those scars uh loudly and proudly and they were loud because they weren't put together back together that well uh it's going to be interesting to see how this looks when it's all said and done for morgan Barron, because uh you know having some conversations about you know what what went into putting that back together and we kind of want to dive into it more if we can get the information we're looking for in the game tonight but just how quickly such a Mm. complex process behind the scenes was happening to try and get Morgan Barron back out on the ice, but also make it so that going forward in life, he's not defined by a hideous scar over top of his eye. I I just thought it was a real fascinating process and a little bit, you know, advanced beyond what we think hockey has been in the past. I think there's been a lot of changes over the last little while. And interesting that the Jets doctor on the trip with them is a plastic surgeon. Say hello to Fates. Now, one thing real quick I want to point out. Arvid Holm is a netminder with the Manitoba Moose, uh, the AHL affiliate for the uh, for the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. He wears number 75. Again, that's at the AHL level. All I'm saying is I'm, I'm just trying. Sean, at, at this point in my life, I'm just trying to talk things into existence or just sort of will <laughs> things into existence, just, you know, ma- mainly just to amuse myself. Uh, Morgan Barron, number 75. Uh, get, the, get this thing trending on Twitter. Hey, game one. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't think I'm in the minority here. I really thought Pierre-Luc Dubois was the best player on the ice, period. And it's not just, you know, the goal. Um, and it's not just, you know, chirping Brossois. But, like, every – engage physically – Every single shift, he was doing something out there. It's some of the some of the best hockey we've seen from PLD. Your thoughts on him in Game One? And hey, listen, if Winnipeg is going to be successful here, they really need an engaged Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, I had such an interesting conversation with Pierre-Luc Dubois before the game because so many people point back to that series when he was with Columbus and helped shut down the Toronto Maple Leafs that everyone said, like, this guy's a playoff player, right? This is the exact guy you want. Mm-hmm. 
once you hit the second season, right? And he came to Winnipeg, and we know that he had problems in that first season, but he was a non-factor to the point that he got bumped down to the fourth line for the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs in in, in the Canadian year, uh, uh, the Canadian division year. So he had a little bit of a swing and a miss there. I, I went and asked him about the idea of what he'd done in the past, and and he'd said he wants to forget that. Like, he doesn't want to be defined by that time uh, and that series when he was with Columbus. He said, I, I need to go and I need to grow beyond that. I need to become better than that. Um, and it was just so interesting because he talked about some of the lessons he'd learned and everyone thought it ended so poorly with him and John Tortorella, but he pointed to me a lesson he learned from John Tortorella and that Tortorella was a real big believer that game one bleeds into game two and game two bleeds into game three and so on and so forth. So he, he said to me, I don't just want to go out and have a good game. I want to be so in their heads that I've messed them up for game Game two by the time I'm done with game one and by game three and four, I mm. want them on the other side being like, oh God, we've got to play this guy again. And he went out and delivered exactly on that, right? Like the chirping brossois thing is, you know that that's going to come to fruition as the series goes on. Like I was kind of surprised we didn't see a response from the Vegas Golden Knights after that happened. The way we've talked about it, the way it's been plastered all over the TV afterwards, you get the sense that the mm-hmm. Vegas Golden Knights are going to spend a good chunk of game two trying to say to Pierre-Luc Dubois, don't even think of doing that again. I, I mean, he not only went out and assisted on the goal that uh, got the Jets going in that game, scored the game winner, did it in a couple of minutes, got into the other team's head. Like he's, he's the guy who dragged them over the line in game one, got them going to the point that they got, it was, it was a dominant performance, but I, I think that he's already in the heads of the Vegas Golden Knights heading into game two. So this is the kind of Hmm. playoff performer that goes, he's not trying to win battles in games he's not trying to win shifts he's trying to win the series with every shift that he takes and that's the kind of mindset that really really helps in the playoffs he was outstanding in game one and i look at that first game as well and i do wonder about what we'll see tonight because vegas will have an answer there's no way bruce cassidy says oh okay let's just try that again um but wasn't (laughs) didn't game one really feel to you, Sean, like a Rick Bonus game. Like Rick Bonus is, you know, responsible for a lot of elite level defensemen distinguishing themselves in the NHL. Like the league is populated by defensemen that essentially Rick Bonus helped finish up. And maybe the most obvious example um, is Victor Hedman with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But that looked like a Rick Bonus game. Um, only 17 shots against when the puck was in Winnipeg zone, pucks weren't getting directed uh, at the Winnipeg uh, net. Hellebuck was good, didn't have to be, but was good in the game nonetheless. Uh, What do you look for tonight? Because, listen, uh, Bruce Cassidy dictates the lines. Uh, He's the home team. Um, I I think things will be different. We got the prototypical Rick bonus game in game one and Winnipeg was successful. What do you look for tonight in game two? Well, I love that you talked about that Rick bonus system because in Winnipeg, we've been calling it the Rick bonus blueprint that he's tried to get the Jets to and had them to earlier on in the year when they had so much success and were competing for first overall in the Western Conference. And then for some inexplicable reason, which was clearly inexplicable to him at the time, the Jets just stopped playing it. And then they started struggling and they started kind of leaning on their skill and trying to get out of it that way. And it was just taking them in the wrong direction. But to your point, that game one, that is the Rick bonus blueprint. It's very defined. You know when the Jets are playing what their coach wants them to play, and that's exactly what they played in that game one. And part of it is Rick bonus, when he gets his team playing really, really well defensively, <clears throat> his mindset is is either A, if we lose the puck, don't wait for them to bring it to you. Uh, just go get it back. But B force them in a way that if they are carrying in the puck, they just simply bring it back to you. And I don't know how much uh, your your viewers tied into that game, but you could see it was just time and time again where that that one player from the Vegas Golden Knights would take the puck and start skating with it, and then all of a sudden he's got no passing lane, so he keeps skating, and he basically skates it to the Jets defenseman who turn the puck over and send it back up ice, and there you go. That's how Pierre-Luc Dubois gets that first goal. Vegas has possession of the puck, turns it over, it gets right up to uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. He goes in on a mini breakaway and scores, so that is what 
the Jets look like when they are at their absolute very best. And I think Rick Bonus said it. Uh, that was the Jets' best game of the season. Talk about timely. What he expects uh, from Bruce Cassidy and the Vegas Golden Knights going forward is a lot more east-west play. Uh, he thinks that the Jets forced mm. Vegas into that direct game. I'm talking about where they just skated it straight to the Jets defenseman and turned it over. He thinks what's going to happen now is there's going to be a lot more activation on the wings and you're going to see the puck move you know, from side to side in that neutral zone to get a kind of a dump in and force uh, one Jets player to go chase that puck and isolate mm. that one player. So that's the expectation. To me, this is really interesting because, you know, I've watched uh, Rick Bonus in the past. I covered him down the stretch when he took the Dallas Stars to the Stanley Cup final that one year. Um, and and the one thing uh, about those teams is is I think that Rick Bonus is a very, very good coach at making in-series adjustments. I think Bruce Cassidy is as well. So it's been one of the things as a, a person who covers the Jets that I've been excited about getting down to the playoffs if they were to make it there is I'm really interested to see what Rick Bonus looks like in a series when he's making those tweaks from game to game because as a journalist covering those series, that's the stuff I live for. Yeah. The little changes, the mind games, the chess games. We could see that here in this series, but we got to see a, a we have to see a response from Vegas before we can go down that road. Uh, really quick, 10 seconds left. Uh, Nick Ehlers. I don't think he's in tonight. Uh, he, di- he didn't practice on either of the power plays, and he was practicing on the third line, so I don't expect him in. Awesome. Great update. Uh, that was fun. Sean, uh, enjoy tonight. Game two, Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. And as Sean mentioned, if it's going to be a whole lot more of East-West, uh, that's going to be a whole lot more importance for someone like Mark Stone uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com on the other side. We're talking bolts in action against the Buds tonight. One of four on the go. Colby Armstrong an hour or two as well. Keep it here. Merrick Show continues. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Big night around the NHL. Once again, Stanley Cup playoffs continue. Uh, four games on the go at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. It's the Rangers and the Devils. Later on 360 at 9.30 Eastern and thereabouts. Uh, the Kraken and the Avalanche. Uh, late game, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against Vegas Golden Knights. Just talked to Sean Reynolds about that one. And kicking it all off tonight, uh, just after 7 o'clock Eastern, you can watch it on CBC and Sportsnet. It is the Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, what consequences could there be here? Uh, Eric Erlinson, I've talked to for a number of years, always one of my favorites to go to uh, when the conversation turns to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, his website is lightninginsider.com, and Eric joins me now. Eric, how are you today, sir? I'm good, Jeff. Uh, thanks for that warm introduction. I appreciate that. Listen, you've always been one of my go-tos. Uh, Tampa time, call Eric. Call Eric. He, uh, he has his thumb on the pulse. And what does, uh, what, what does your thumb tell you right now about this Tampa team? Like, I think we're wondering about Hedman. We're wondering about uh, Cernak um, after the Michael Bunting hits, uh, which netted him a, a three-game suspension, which I think leads a lot of us to believe that there is a significant uh, injury here. What's, uh, what is this thumb that you have on the pulse of the Tampa Bay Lightning telling you about the blue line, Eric? Let's start there. Well, heading into the start of the regular season, we had question marks about the defense as, as a whole when you lose Ryan McDonough. That's a big hole to fill. And, uh, you know, Ian Cole's done an admirable job doing it, but he's not Ryan McDonough. And, and now you're, you know, you're wondering about Victor Hedman is, you know, even if he does play tonight, how healthy is he? If he didn't finish the final two periods of game number one, how effective can he be now without Eric Chernak for who knows how long? I mean, that's two of your top three defensemen right there in terms of minutes. Eric Chernak leaves them in, in shorthanded ice time. I mean, he's a big role. He's a big man. He's physical, uh, especially around the net and in the corners and, and what he can do for them. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you take that out and, and a blue line that was already somewhat thin to begin with in terms of depth is uh, now it's going to be put to the test. I assume Zach Bogosian 
comes in tonight for uh, Eric Chernak. And then if uh, Victor can't play, it's Hayden Fleury. I mean, those, those are significant drop-offs, especially with Hedman. It's, uh, so it's, it's a question mark uh, for the rest of this series, how healthy the lighting are going to be on the back end, because that's the one area outside of goaltending that they really couldn't afford to take many injuries to. Yeah, let, let me get to the goaltending here because it is interesting. Uh, no matter what happens um, to the back end, you still have to beat Andre Vasilevsky. And listen, during the regular season and more specifically during the playoffs, like, that's a really tall order. Like we've seen just some of the most dynamic performances in nets uh, in this era from Andre Vasilevsky. And I, I always think about the one thing that a lot of the great goaltenders all have in common is there comes a certain point in their career where they start to live inside the heads of the shooters and shooters start to second guess themselves and, you know, grip too hard. All the, all the cliches we hear about players getting frozen by goaltenders. Dominic Hasek was one of those guys that would, you know, freeze shooters. Like you almost, you get intimidated to shoot at goaltenders that start to live in your head. Um, I've always considered Vasilevsky there. Like no matter what type of shot you think you have, there's, there's still, when you look at what Vasilevsky has laid before us by way of body of work, there has to still be a little area of doubt. Whether you're Austin Matthews, former Rocket Richard winner, or Matthew Nyes, who makes his Stanley Cup playoff debut tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, would you agree with that one, that as good as he is physically, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the great ingredients that goes into Andre Vasilevsky is he's in shooters' heads, Eric. I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and by the way, that's the first time I think I've ever heard Austin Matthews' name not followed by Mitch Marner uh, in contacts with the Leafs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he, his body of work is certainly there, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, he didn't have the typical Andre Vasilevsky regular season. He didn't get a lot of help from his team down the stretch. I mean, he let in seven goals, I think, at least twice this year. But all that doesn't matter, right? It's once you get into the playoffs, and the Leafs in particular, they kind of got to him last year in round one, right? Like, they put up some goals on him, um, and, and they still end up losing that series. Game one? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. well, and, and like last year too, right? Like, they put five on him in game one, and uh, the, the 4-3 game. I mean, you yeah. put three past Andre Vasilevsky, you've got a pretty good chance to win the game. And the Leafs were able to do that, and, and they're going to have to do that, right? Because he is the X factor in all this. It, it doesn't matter how thin – the Lightning are compared to the last couple of years. Uh, the depth certainly isn't there. Maybe they don't have the depth scoring. They still have the game breakers. But if you can't beat Andre Vasilevsky on a consistent basis, it's not going to matter because the Lightning will find a way to score a couple of goals and give him some support. They, they yeah. just have that top-end skill to be able to do it. So uh, I, I do think that uh, Andre Vasilevsky can be in guys' heads because you're, it's almost like you're down one nothing before you get into the game because you're probably going to have to score at least two to beat him. Corey Perry. So Mark Bergevin, uh, former general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, had a saying. There are players that get you there, and there are players that get you through. And Corey Perry, you know, once upon a time was one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL. He was one of those players that both got you there and got you through. Uh, as Anaheim won a Stanley Cup back in 2007. Um, and right now, Corey Perry, it's almost as if, you know, ironically, you know, during the playoffs when players don't get paid, um, that's where Corey Perry <laughs> shines the most. And during the regular season when players, you know, are actually getting paychecks every two weeks, it's almost as if, yeah, you know what, we have Corey Perry, but we have him for the time when we're not paying him, and that's the playoffs. He is clearly one of those players now that, you know, doesn't necessarily get you there but he gets you through the first game uh, again one goal one assist um, is in everybody's face every time he's on the ice and he's not the only one like Tampa understands the value of those players perhaps maybe more so than any other team in the NHL when I say the name Corey Perry to someone who's covered the Tampa Bay Lightning for as long as you have what comes to your mind well, the first thing I think about is the term the worm, right? Because he can get under your yeah. skin in the playoffs is when you can really get under player skin. And going back to last year, there's a moment that stands out for me with Corey Perry to kind of give you an understanding of what he can do for your team. You hate him when he's on the other team. You love him when he's on your team, when you have these moments. It was game two against the Panthers last year in round two. 
the, the Panthers felt that they were kind of pushed around a little bit in game one. They wanted to come out and try and set a physical tone. So Patrick Hornquist and Ryan Lomberg and kind of their, their bottom line physical guys start the game. And Hornquist tried to take a run at Perry. Perry stood him up, knocked Hornquist to the ice, and leaned over him and had this maniacal laugh right in his face. And that, that's the kind of stuff that, that's a psychological warfare when it comes to playoff hockey. And that's what Corey Perry can do. And when he's going to contribute offensively at this point in his career, that's just a complete bonus that you're going to get from him, right? So um, he can do all of the things. He still has the hands around the net. Uh, and it's funny because we kind of wondered, is Corey Perry even going to be in the, in the starting lineup when they get to the playoffs? Because, you know, he's lost a step. There's no doubt about it. His production, he had 19 goals last year. He finished with 11 or 12 this year so the offensive production hasn't been there his his plus minus not always the end all be all but it was easily the worst on the team i think a minus 26 he had uh as well so we wondered jesus Corey perry a guy that you might take out of lineup to get some more speed and then you look at game one and like and think how did we ever think that because even when they signed him a year ago they even said we brought in Corey perry for the playoffs and certainly game one he showed up yeah, you know, one of the um, like last year's run to the cup was a uh, was a phenomenal one uh, again to watch, and and this year was a a wonderful season for Braden Point. Um, last season, the injury, all of it, that was you know that was that was tough, tough for Tampa. I I can't help but you know wondering if uh, if a healthy Braden Point was available, what would have happened in that final series against the Colorado Avalanche? Um, the quietest fifty goals we've seen. In I don't know how long, uh, put up this year by by Braden Point. I know that you know Stamkos gets a lot of the oxygen, and so does you know Vasilevsky and Hedman, etc. But a very quiet fifty, well, as quiet as a fifty goal season can be, maybe is the the better way to put it. Uh, and there he is, front and center in game one as well. Uh, one goal, two assists. Kucherov gets a lot of headlines. Stamkos gets a lot of headlines. Uh, I've always looked at Braden Point and said. He's a playmaker who's also a shooting threat, and that just makes him so, you know, so dangerous. And one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things, Eric, in all of hockey, I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite things is watching Tampa on the power play, watching everybody in the arena, players and fans, biting on Kucherov about to shoot, and then tossing as laser beam pass. To Braden Point, and he's the only guy in the rink that knows it's happening. So it's get he's getting it, and it's a one timer, and it's in the back of the net. It's one of my favorite moments to watch, and we've seen it before. And I still bite on it. Everybody still <laughs> bites on it. Your thoughts on on Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and that battery? And the goalies bite on it too, and, and sometimes they bite hard. Everyone. A couple, couple years ago, man, Sergey Bobrovsky was out of the blue paint. He was biting so hard on it on a game time power play goal in game one against the Panthers, and we still see it to this day, you know. And if it's not point, it can go across the Stamkos as well. Like we've seen that a few times. Uh, but but Braden in particular, he's got such a really good chemistry with Nikita Kucherov. You know, going back to his rookie year, you know, by the end of his rookie year in seventeen, the Lightning missed the playoffs. But Brayden Point, because of the injuries they had, Stamkos was out. I think Vlad Domestikov got hurt late. Tyler Johnson was hurt late. Point was elevated to number one center because they had nobody left. And he got to play with Nikita Kucherov. And they had such a dynamic chemistry even then that they've really been together. And they just yeah. they understand how each other works so well. And it's not easy to play with a guy like Cooch because of you know, the, the way he thinks the game. And Brayden Point thinks the game the same way he does. And that's how they're on the same page. So often, but what I the two things I really, really appreciate about Braden Point is his confidence level this year has been at an all-time high. Um, you know, he came off that double hip surgery a couple of years ago, and, and he's he's really back to that uh, straight head, uh, straight ahead speed that he has. But he's so shifty, right? He's almost McKinnon-esque in his shiftiness when he carries the puck up the ice. He scored a goal this year against Seattle where he just danced through four guys. And I don't know if Braden Point three years ago tries to pull off that move. He did it this year, and, and that's just the confidence that kind of came with his game this year. And then working on his shot, you know, that bumper spot, like it's not an easy position. You have to get that shot off quickly, you know, unless, of course, the goalie bites yep. too hard and the net's wide open, but you still have to get that shot off quickly, and he's worked on that. He's worked on that with Kucherov a lot in practice. So, you know, even two guys who have played together for so long, who have had the success together as long as they've had, they're still working on things to get better, and that's, that's the consummate pro in both those guys, and that's how you get a Braden Point, you know, who jumps up to the 50-goal mark uh, this season. Uh, and, you know, and, and as you know, Jeff, once you're a 50-goal scorer, 
you're always known as a 50-goal scorer. It's true. You know, I, I always call that play, that, that Kucherov the point play, like to me, and, and I, I know that you can, you, can, you can make the argument that maybe the, the play to Stamkos for the one-timer is more signature, but whenever I see that, I, I say to myself, that's the Tampa play. Like when I think of Tampa's, Tampa goals and like what's unique to Tampa, I think of that Kucherov the point play on the power play, much like with Vancouver, and now everybody does it, but when the Sedins would do that high tip, it's like, oh, that's the Vancouver goal. Like That distinguishes that team. Or, you know, like Carlson to Ovechkin with Washington. Oh, that's the, the Washington goal because we've seen it so much. Uh, in all the time that you've watched this team specifically, is that play that we're describing, is that the Tampa goal when you think about it, or is it a dish to steam and stand close? Essentially what I'm asking is, what is Tampa's signature goal that when you see it, you say to yourself, that's the Tampa play? It's hard not to think of Stamkos from the left circle with the one-timer and, and the laser precision that he's had on it through most of his career. It's hard not to think of that as the signature Tampa play. It's similar to Ovechkin at that circle, right? Um, you know, and we've seen Kucherov do that plenty of times across the ice to him, and it's a perfect pass. And, you know, Victor Hedman's been able to do it too uh, for the most part from, from the top of the zone. Um, but I, it, I do think more of the Stamkos one, maybe because, you know, he's the 500-goal scorer. But lately it is. And, you know, to, to make it an even more dangerous play, you know, Kucherov scores on the one-timer at the end of the first period. He's also a threat to shoot, right? Like sometimes you forget about that. So when you see him rear back to that one-timer, and that was a bullet he unleashed uh, to make that game 3 yep. he, he can he, he's going to show you that shot. And guess what? The next time he's going to rear back and show you that shot, that's when the goalies bite. That's when the defense bite. And that's when Braden Point becomes wide open for that opportunity. And because Nikita Kucherov can think so far ahead, he already knows that you're going to bite on it before you even bite on it. He knows what he's doing before he even gets the puck. And, and that's what makes it dangerous. So uh, it, maybe that's the signature play, whereas the Stamkos is the signature goal. Um, let me ask you about John Cooper. And this is a, uh, a coach that's grown up you know, with this team, albeit there were player, you know, plenty of players that were there before John Cooper uh, joined. And we think about Stamkos and Hedman specifically. But um, you know, this is very much still John Cooper's team, and he knows how to push the buttons. And I would, I would imagine, Eric, I'm, I'm curious, uh, agree or disagree, after the last regular season meeting between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning, John Cooper probably took great delight reminding Tampa Bay Lightning players how everybody else in the, the NHL free world was talking about how the Maple Leafs, without Matthews and Marner, were able to handle Tampa, feed them their lunch on the score sheet, uh, and handle them physically as well. Uh, we all know about Cooper and the ability to push buttons. How much of that was, you know, uh, was part of the uh, the motivation strategy, to your estimation, for John Cooper for this series? I'm sure there's a little bit there. There's no doubt. You know, it's. I mean, this is the year the Leafs are supposed to break through, and they might still. They might still. It's a very good team that they have, but you know, the, the expectation level has probably never been higher on Toronto. So there's no doubt that. They've used that aspect and the fact that they met, you know, in game number 81 of the regular season for both teams. And the Lightning did lose that game on home ice where they've been very good this year. And the Leafs didn't have Matthews. They didn't have Mar in the lineup. They didn't have Giordano in the lineup. So, yeah, I, I, there's probably a little bit of that. And, you know, you, just, you, you kind of sensed it as the team left town on Monday. But they just had a little bit of a – they've always been a team – especially going back to that 15 season that kind of bordered on arrogance and cockiness. Now it's self-confidence. And, and there was a, I just, I just sensed an inner self-confidence about this team. And a lot of that comes from the head coach. He is a very confident guy. You ever talk to him, you ever listen to him, you ever have a conversation with him, you understand how confident he is. And he, he instills that belief in his team. And I think that's his greatest strength is understanding how to motivate his team in the proper way. Right, some guys are old school. You know, you think of the Mike Keenans, even the John Tortorellas of the world. Sometimes he's the opposite. He's he really, for lack of a better term, he's chummy with his players. Right, and that's not easy to do as a coach to professional athletes. But he finds ways to be able to motivate and find ways to get them to improve without breaking them down and building them back up. Right, it's. I think back to the 2020 conference finals when Blake Coleman makes a mistake and the Islanders tie the game 1-1. He threw that line right back out on the ice, and they immediately responded with the goal. He does a lot of that type of things to, to build on a lot of positivity, 
that's the one thing that you sense being around this team is everything is based on positivity. And he even said it after game number 82 when Brian Elliott got the shutout, when Braden Point scored his 50th, Alex Kalorn reached his career high, Brandon Hagel got the 30-goal mark. Like he talked about all the positive vibes, and that's a strength of his is that he just builds on the positives and doesn't reflect on the negatives. You know, the, the one thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish up on this one. You've watched Tampa for and, and covered Tampa for a, a real long time. Um, so you may be able to identify a lot better than I will, certainly, uh, when this changed. But you referenced this Tampa team going back to 2015. And there was that cockiness about them. Like, this was a skilled team that wasn't shy about showing you every single game. No, every single shift, just how skilled they were. Like, I would watch Tampa. We all would. And we'd say to ourselves, great team, but is there a team in the NHL that's guilt, that's more guilty of making one pass too many than the Tampa Bay Lightning? Like, they were in love. Like, you know, this, weren't they in love with the extra pass? The one that's yep. like, okay, now we've got it to a spot where we're going to shoot. But you know what? Just because we can, we're going to make this one extra pass, and the whole sequence would fall apart. And you would say to yourself, we get that you're in love with the skill. Just shoot the puck after a while. Like, when did that change about Tampa? Because they're not that team anymore. They still fall into those habits every now and then. Uh, not so much in the postseason, but maybe in the regular season. I, I think there's two there's two areas that that that, that kind of happened. The first was probably 2017 when they missed the playoffs. Right, they were in the Cup final in 15. They reached the Conference final in 16. All of a sudden, they're out of the playoffs in 17. It was a little humbling, I think, for the coaching staff at the time, especially John Cooper. I don't think he'd ever missed the playoffs in his coaching career once he started in, you know, in the USHL. Uh, so I think that was uh, it was it was a process for him to go through, and he and he grew and he learned from it. But like a lot of things with the past three plus years for this team, it all changed in April of 2019 when they got swept by Columbus. It's a it's a scar. It's a scar that's never going to go away but you learn from your scars, right? Like we weren't, we learn from things that let us down in our life. If you know, if we want to make them better, we have to improve from that. And I think that series against Columbus changed the way they had to think the game. So I, really, I think that signature moment is, is that, is that right. And they still had some hangover going into the 1920 season, but once they started to click and I know the, the COVID you know, disrupted everything, but their thought process was a little bit different. They took a lot of that risk out of their game. You know, that was the year that Nikita Kucherov got benched for a period because of one of those high-risk plays that led to a short-handed goal. So it, it's it's a lot of those things. The so Ottawa it, game. Like a lot of, that yeah, the, the Ottawa, Ottawa game, game, Anthony Duclair. Yep, and, uh, it, and it was a yep. dichotomy, too, because it was Kucherov that was benched for allowing the tying goal, and it was Anthony Sorelli, the hard worker, you know, the defensive guy who can, you know, just work his Save way to it. goals, ended up scoring the <laughs> overtime goal, right? Yeah, so yep. uh, it, to me, it, it's a lot of that comes from 2019. Uh, Lightning fans hate every time I bring this up, but it's a part of who they are now. It's a part of what built them up to be what they are. So I think really that, that series against Columbus changed everything, and it's such a credit to Julian Brisebois and the front office staff and everything if they didn't panic after that. The easy thing would have been to do is say, okay, this isn't working. We need to change things. We need to change the coach. They stuck with John Cooper. They stuck mm. with the core, and they've reaped the benefits since. Man, I know I always bring this up when everyone brings it up about what, about you know the, the volatile situation that that was and all the, the rumors. That year the draft was in Vancouver, and there were two major rumors on the floor of the draft on day one. The first one came to fruition, and that was Milan Lucic in exchange uh, for James Neal. And the other one was a, a Tampa-Edmondson deal, Kucherov the primary going, and Dreisaitl uh, going the other way. That rumor would not... Uh, no one would stop talking about that one. But to your point, and obviously it didn't happen. Um, Eric, see, you're the goods, man. Uh, you cover this so well, so thoroughly. Lightninginsider.com. Uh, Eric Erlinson, all over it. All things Tampa, all things Bolts. It is game two tonight. Uh, the Maple Leafs look to even the series with John Cooper's Tampa Bay Lightning. Eric, always a pleasure, man. You, you be well. Always good catching up. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be on with you. Keep up the good work. And uh, you and everybody else be well as well. Thank you very much. Eric Erlinson, uh, lightninginsider.com. Uh, one of four games on the go around the NHL tonight. Okay, a couple of minutes here. Colby Armstrong is going to be joining me at the bottom of the hour, but i got to grab something here. So uh, let's get Matt Marchese aboard. So, Matty. Yes, sir. 
Okay, so yesterday on the program, Greg Wyshynski and I talked about the beauty in hate-watching. You know, watching a team that you really despise, okay? And uh, Jason Bruff, uh, hang on, let me grab this here. Jason Bruff uh, from 650 The Morning Show, uh, Halford and Bruff, um, talked about it on their program today. Uh, and so, and, and reference a big thanks to me and Greg. So I got a note from someone in the NHL, and this person is actually referencing an idea from someone by the name of Denez Selman, who is a, an economics professor at the University of Pennsylvania. So someone that focuses on, amongst other things, game theory. Okay, So this is the idea in order to encourage hate-watching. And ever since this person who works with a team sent this to me, I can't stop thinking about it. Now, I know it will never happen. But just as a thought experiment, like this is just a way to just cleanse your palate here before we move on to Colby Armstrong and, and talk more about uh, talk more about the playoffs. So the idea of encouraging hate watching or essentially what you're trying to do is encourage people to watch out of market games, games that aren't ju- that don't just involve your home team. So <laughs> I love this. It's so neat. So this is Selman's idea. Okay, so first of all, it's a way to get rid of the lottery. I know some people love the lottery, but this gets rid of the lottery. So we'll start with this. Okay, Maddie, write this down. Write this down, Maddie. Sound like I'm a big shot. Okay, here's the very first premise nobody gets their own draft pick in 2024. Okay, you don't get a pick. At the end of the 2023 season, there is a draft of who's going to have whose pick in 2024. So you're choosing another team's pick. If you finish 32nd in 2023, you get first choice of whose 2024 pick you want. (laughs) If you finish 31st in 2023... You get second choice of whose 2024 pick you want. So if you're, uh, who finished last? Anaheim, right? They finished last overall? Mm-hmm. 32nd? So you're Anaheim. Hang on, was it Anaheim or was it Columbus? No, hold on. No, it's Columbus. Hold on. I'm just, I'm just double-checking. It's Columbus? Okay, so it's, so it's, it's I think it's so. double-checking. I think it's Columbus. So Columbus would draft first, and they would choose which team's pick they want for 2024. So you say you're Columbus and you're t- you're picking first, you're choosing another team's pick. So it was Anaheim. It was Anaheim. Chicago and say, "Oh, was it? Okay, so you're okay, maybe yeah. re- re- rewind here. So you're Anaheim and you pick first in this proposed draft. So you're choosing another team's pick. So you're looking at the landscape and you say, "Okay, who's going to be bad still? Who's going to be bad? I'm going to choose the Chicago Blackhawks. So now you not only have an interest in watching your, as a fan, your own team, the Anaheim Ducks, and watch all their games, but knowing that you own Chicago's pick, you watch the Chicago Blackhawks to root against them. So you get to have that so you, you watch that team. So you watch them with the intention and hope that they fail because you hold their pick at the end of the season. Now, you have a team to root against all season long, a vested interest in watching all those out-of-market games, and you develop a real sports hatred of the fans that are going to be rooting against them all season long again it's not going to happen but uh denez selman economics prof university of pennsylvania specializing in game theory that is an incredibly creative way to think about this and again it scraps the lottery and so we get rid of this okay what do we have to do and tweak the lottery balls and all these types no this is how you do it last place you don't get your own pick. You choose whose pick you have. 
And I guess maybe one of the caveats is you don't get to choose yourself. <laughs> I guess perhaps. But what do you think of that as a way to encourage? This is all from the conversation from me and Wish yesterday to encourage hate watching. Because if you're Anaheim and you know that you're picking based on what Chicago does, you hate watch the Blackhawks or whichever. Maybe it's Columbus. Maybe it's Montreal. Who knows? Maybe it's Arizona. You hate watch that team deliberately because you have their pick. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And here's the thing. What would be the best <laughs> the best part the best part of this would be if you were to if yeah. you were to be able to pick yourself, what does the that tell your fan base? So now your fan base is hate watching 100%. you. <laughs> <laughs> come see the game we've bet uh, on ourselves to be awful publicly because we've chosen ourselves no I, I guess the caveat would be you would you would you would choose another team i i but, like it uh, because that's a really good point I, I think i the way i look at it is i think that that would cause forget hate watching that would cause hatred among teams as well like oh you picked us so you think we're gonna be bad like i like that 100 percent Hundred percent. It's like choosing your opponent in the playoffs. Like honestly, like I am so in love with the idea of forcing teams to choose things as opposed to just letting things happen. Like, when does choice really happen? I mean, at the draft, certainly it does. But everyone's in love with just like playing based, you know, playing whatever is given to us. We're just going to play the field. You know, we're going to play the opponent based on the standings and where we force a choice. Forcing a choice is where, to your point, you can really get a decent rivalry going and and seemingly out of nowhere, depending on who you would choose in this scenario. Again, this is not going to happen, but I can't stop thinking about this today after it was proposed to me uh, this morning by someone who obviously heard our show yesterday and the conversation with Wyshynski and then heard Halford and Bruff in the morning in Vancouver. I just love it. You choose another team pick you don't have your own you choose someone else's just think about that for the rest of the day until seven o'clock eastern when tampa faces off against toronto and then the rangers face the devils and the kraken face off against the avalanche and the jets take on the golden knights in the meantime there's something hockey to sort of noodle around your brain everyone listening and or watching right now Speaking of noodling around your brain, we're going to noodle around Colby Armstrong's brain here in a couple of moments uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet and the NHL on TNT and Barstool, and he pops up on Chicklets. Uh, he's a phenomenon, folks, to say nothing of his work with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's Colby Armstrong, and he joins me in moments as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Choose another team's pick. It's lovely. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He is everywhere. He's uh, Colby Armstrong. He is a media phenomenon. He is a former NHLer. Memorial Cup champion. We always throw that in about Colbs. Uh, how you doing today, Colby? What's up, buddy? What's happening? Craziness, eh? Craziness. Uh, Thanks for the great intro. Uh, it's a been, phenomenon. It, well, you are, man. Like, every, every time like I, I open up Twitter, there's your face. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of video <laughs> of you out there. You're very busy uh, sharing your opinions everywhere. Like, I think it's great, man. Like, I, I'm so like I've said this before. Too. Like, I'm so proud of where you've where you've gotten well, to as a, as a broadcaster uh, in this hockey. I tell room, everyone man. you. It's, it's really uh, cool to see. I tell everyone. I tell everyone in talking about you because obviously your uh, uh, your reputation in the business is awesome, and of course your oh, um, stop, 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 stop. your insider info of what you bring is uh, top notch, and and everyone loves you. But I tell everyone, and I brag. We're going to keep pumping each other's tires. How you you got me cooking early in my career, working with you all the time. You know, yeah. cut my teeth with you. Great mentor, great teammate, great person to be around. So, yeah, it's been crazy. I've been so busy lately, all over the place. Uh, I'm down in Atlanta working for TNT here tonight in studio, um, you yeah. know, which will be crazy following all the games tonight. Yeah, how's that experience been for you? I mean, that studio <laughs> show is elite. What's that been like yeah. for you? 
it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, being on there with Biz is, is uh, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, Anson, I've worked with before uh, at times, obviously up at Sportsnet as well. Um, Liam's just a pro, but we were in there the other night. I posted something. We did like a relay race against the NBA guys and, and the baseball people. And uh, like yep. the stuff that they do in there is just off the wall wild. But I'm like standing next to Shaq and Charles and Pedro Martinez. I mean, these guys are <laughs> unbelievable people. And I got to say, Ernie Johnson, the host of the NBA stuff, is just yeah. like a fantastic so person. Good. Just an amazing guy. He's so yep. talented, so good. Just his voice is so cool. And he's way bigger than I thought in real life. Like he's a big man, but uh, and he dre- his, like his dress, his his attire is is top notch. He just like looks so cool. So it's it's pretty cool to be like yeah. in there hanging out, rubbing shoulders, talking to those guys. And I'm like, you know, Jeff, you know me. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? How, how am I here? Like, what is this? So it's been pretty funny. I feel like that every time I go into Hockey Night in Canada. It's like, ooh, there's Kelly Rudy. Oops, oh, there's Ron McClain. Like, what, are, what am I doing yeah. here? Like, please just yeah. don't notice me. Just blend in, blend in. Keep your head down. Just blend. Um, hey, okay, let me let, let me ask you about what we've seen so far. I know we're only, you know, a couple of days into the Stanley Cup playoffs here, but already there's tons of, well, there's a lot of people complaining, as you would imagine. Yep. Like, I look at the Islanders-Carolina series, and I say, nobody seems happy. Carolina's up 2 nothing, but they're not happy. They just lost Tara Vinen, and, you know, Rod Brindamore yep. was pissed, as we can expect. And Islanders are feeling, they oh, we got jobbed based on power plays, and no one's happy. Um, what are the, I'm curious, as a, as a player, and as I get older, Colby, I think I've mentioned this to you before, as I get older, and it's not just in sports, but I just really cherish cranky people now. Like, I love grumpy people. I love it. I, I just love being around grumps. I don't know what it is. But, like, what are, what are players like at this time of year through your experience? Yeah, I think we all can't wait till we're, you know, in a cardigan sweater on a rocking chair just yelling at everyone can't we we can't wait for the day of that can't, like that's got to be like the best time of your life when it, when you hit that moment right when everything just goes out the window yeah. and you don't care anymore it's got to feel amazing but that's great. i think as a i think as a player at this time of the year i think obviously like pressure's high and in some markets it's higher than others which is you know makes for like yeah. i think you know toronto land right now is like crazy comparatively to let's say the Islanders who are down, you know, two right now and, you know, heading home. And it's just like, Oh, we just got into the playoffs, but we're a dangerous team. Like, this is what we do. It's like expectations are different everywhere. And I think players are kind of, you know, caught in the middle of just wanting to perform and, and, you know, knowing, you know, you know, what to expect. What is playoff hockey? What is it? You just battled 82 games. You just got in there. Like, what are we going to expect in this? And sometimes the first game is kind of a dip your toe in the water thing. Um, and it's, and it's mm. so foreign from like the, the, the marathon that is regular season to, okay, we just lost a massive game. How do we, how do we regroup off this? And I think guys are kind of, you know, in that moment, I, I think that's why experience is so big, but like in that moment going, okay, how do we regroup off of this? How do we, how do we forget this? How do we mm. check this? So, I think that's the biggest difference where guys' heads are at are just like really short memories and, 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 and getting over hurdles as quick and as fast as you can, which I think is tough sometimes for new, younger players to these, these situations. For sure. Um, and, and there have been some surprises along the way here. Again, caveat, it's early. Um, but there have been a few surprises. Uh, the Florida Panthers splitting with the Boston Bruins. Uh, Sam Bennett was mm-hmm. just outstanding yesterday uh, for the Panthers. That was a, a shocker last night. Um, Seattle taking game one from the Colorado Avalanche, defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, that oh, was a shocker. I, I don't want to s- they They really do. Um, I don't want to say that what Tampa did to Toronto – was a shocker because let's not forget how good the Tampa Bay Lightning are, yeah. even though everyone's you know been handing this thing to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But when you look at the um, when you look at the nature of surprise, and that's what we all love at this time of year. That's what we all love about the playoffs are the are the surprises. It's like, hey, why do we like Christmas morning surprises? Uh, what's been the big What's been the biggest for you, Colbs? What's What's been the biggest surprise? Um. I, I, oh, geez, I was going to say, like, I was going to say Winnipeg, but, like, I thought Winnipeg would be this team. Like, they're just a beast playoff team ready to go. If they, they had a bad month leading into it, but, I mean, they, the way they handled, I think, Vegas in the first game has, has been amazing. 
I think the biggest surprise for me, and, and this is because I, I'm, I'm bought into thinking like this is the Leafs year. This is the Leafs going to get by the, you know, the big, bad um, Tampa Bay Lightning that I was surprised at game one and just, you know, how it unraveled for Toronto. Like, I didn't, I didn't think yeah. I'd see that so early. Now, I'm not going to go panic city because I know, you know, you got to forget about this and move on. And, and what will we see next? And maybe no Hedman, maybe no Chernak. But, like, I was just, I was, I was blown away at kind of the beatdown that was game one in a series of revenge for the Toronto Maple Leafs from last year and, and the ability to come in and, you know, be on home ice and, and dictate the series with a new sense of confidence. And I think that just kind of crushed, it kind of crumbles away a little bit of like the confidence you look at. I know everyone says, Oh, Toronto beat them five, nothing last year in game one and embarrass them. Let's remember that. Okay. 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 But it's just kind of, it kind of, it kind of takes a chunk away of like the confidence me personally, I have for the Leafs coming into the series against a tired Tampa Bay team that just completely rolled them in game one. Yeah, you know, and I was making the point with Eric Erlinson before he came on that, you know, there are just some goaltenders that live in your head. Dominic Hasek mm-hmm. lived in people's heads. Patrick Waugh lived in people's yeah. heads. Uh, but, but before I ask you more about Tampa here, who was the goalie that lived in your head? Where every, like, the puck's on your stick, you look up and it's like, uh-oh, uh, this guy. Was there one goalie that you're like, oh, I think it's, I can't, I, there, 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 there's nowhere to shoot. There was a goalie in the minors we had. We couldn't score on him. Wade Flaherty, if you remember him, he was unbelievable. He like, yeah, shot us out, like every game. Yeah. He was like the first time I experienced a goalie that like was in our head. That was in the minor leagues. He, he was, a, he was in Milwaukee. I, I mean, he is a, he was great in the American league, but he was just lived in our heads rent free. Yeah. And I think, I think to your point though, you're right. Like, when you're facing a guy like, you know, when I was playing against like Carey Price or some of these guys with like that mystique or persona or, you know, those guys have a, a way about them just because they're good one, but just the, like the presence of them that kind of make you think differently about your shot selection or where you're going to put it or how it's going to go down because it's just so different. Mm-hmm. I also hated like guys that caught the opposite hand switchies. They were, they were really difficult um, just in your head oh, yeah. as, 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 as it is as a shooter. But I think the guys, and that's why I think, you know, Vasilevsky has kind of that presence, right? Cause he's the best goalie in the game. He's huge. He has this mystique about him because he wins all the time and he's unbelievable. And he's kind of the secret weapon, the X factor, right? So right away going into games, you know, as a goal scorer, you're like, okay, I've got to beat this guy, but it's just like something about him and those goalies that are great they have that extra edge mentally, mm-hmm. I think, on teams and I think on shooters. And I think Vasilevsky carries that with him. And he's earned it. He's earned it because he, you know, he's good, because he's damn good. So I think that's a hurdle yeah. they're going to have to get over and, and get to him. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting, too, with, like, Shesterkin, too. He has kind of that vibe about him, although he's a little bit younger and, you know, hasn't won. But, you know, the Penguins last year were able to get through to him in the first round and get them pulled. Can the New Jersey Devils do that too with this young team, their skilled team? They have, mm. you know, zero shots on the power play. You know, these young guys are not only getting introduced to playoff hockey for the Devils, but they're also have to go up against a guy that's like, you know, they're probably looking at and going, okay, damn, this guy's the X factor in this series in the league. You know, a lot would point yeah. at Shusterkin and they have to deal with that mind bomb also. Oh, there he um, is. Now, uh, I know that um, no player who plied his trade with the Red Deer Rebels of the Western Hockey League uh, would ever throw a bad hit or would ever throw a reckless hit. Um, so I want to ask you about a Red Deer Rebel defenseman who's really made some headlines and he'll be booed forever whenever he touches the puck in Dallas. And that's Matt Dumba and the hit on Joe Pavelski. Now Pavelski's in concussion protocol didn't play last night. Dallas fed it to Minnesota yesterday, uh, even up the series. What did you, as as someone who, you know, who who made his living, you know, with with really with really violent body checks, like you were one of the the premier hitters in the league, as we all know. What did you make of the Dumba on Pavelski hit? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, I thought it was like from a hitter standpoint. It's for me in my head, like I, that's. It was like brilliant, really, and we saw Kachuk has done it a few times. Remember him on Cassian against Edmonton, where he came down. It was like 
Big I used time. to get guys coming around the net, and they'd be have a guy on them, yep. and it was just unsuspecting, right? It was kind of unsuspecting. Some would say predatory, <laughs> but I, I think you know in that situation, Pavelski had like a, a yep. shot attempt with a with a guy on him. And you don't expect kind of Dumba to release from his position, his net front position, and kind of drop down and lower the boom on him there. So I think he was obviously uh, unsuspecting in that situation and a hard play at the net on a good attempt at the net. Um, And, and, you know, Dumba did a good job of coming over. Like Dumba, Dumba's game, like that's what he has in his back pocket, right? He has that card. He can play not only, you know, a good involved player uh, offensively, defensively, but he has that physical chunk to his game that you have to know when he's on the ice because he can sting you and in this situation he made a read on a play at the net and and caught an unsuspecting Pavelski with with a solid hit now I don't know was there sticks up in his face that kind of caught him was it hitting his head on the ice Pavelski's I, own I think the, Pavelski's own yeah, I stick. think the refs handled Pavelski's it perfect, though, by call, they called the five minutes they were able to go back and review yes. it I think they did it perfectly on this play the refs and it's funny enough, Jeff, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this. The, the rule came in in that Vegas series in San Jose when Pavelski was, you know, had that horrible accident falling on his head to review these plays. And here we are again with the yep. same player involved with the same play in the playoffs um, coming back. So it was just, it was crazy the people involved. But uh, the hit on Dumbo was just a, a good read by him to come over and get a good lick on a really good, important player for Dallas. And it sucks to see a guy wobbling off like that, especially yeah. Pavelski. I love him. Older, I love the veteran yeah. guys. He's one of the best slow skating players in the league too. Like he's not laser fast, but he gets to places. I just admire his game so much, how smart he is and how crafty he is and how important he is to Dallas. Right. So they came up with extra energy last game, gave it to, gave it to Minnesota, tied it up going back to Minnesota. And, um, you know, obviously I think, I think Dumba is going to be a massive factor in a lot of different situations in the rest of the series. Uh, I don't disagree. And you know what I thought was a really nice touch? Um, the Tyler Sagan tip goal yeah. last night. Like, that's like that's Joe Pavelski's spot. Yeah, and That's a totally. Joe Pavelski-style goal. And, and there's Sagan. I'm like, he scores that? And I'm like, wow. And anyone that oh, says all these guys with hands hockey, like that. Like, that is like... <laughs> like, Pavelski's yeah, the best at that, right? And then I even working last the other night, I seen Kreider with those little chop tips in front. Like, like if like you don't understand totally. how hard that is. That's like that Crosby chop tip. Pavelski's so good at it. Kreider, we're seeing a couple goals in game one with that little chop tip. Like that's ending up in my beak for sure. Or off my chest. Like those are so <laughs> amazing. Those are such hard shot path tips to have that touch like that, like what we see from these guys. Yeah. So no co- no question. Hopefully Pavelski's back, obviously, and um you know, he can get back in there, but yeah. there's no question like what he brings in, in regards to his overall game at 38 years old for this Dallas team, the production and how important his position is. Jeff, this is why I rant and rave about youth hockey and skill in youth hockey and, and, and being like all McDavid's. I get it. I get it. But is that not a skill? What, what Pavelski does? Is it not a skill? How good you are totally. at net front? That is a skill 100%. that not a lot of 100%. players look at or want to do. Pavelski is one of the best to do it. You know, I was in, uh, Elliot and I were in Dallas a few weeks ago, and the, the first day, oh, second day we got there, I went to Dallas Stars practice, and you always hear about, oh, Pravelski, you know, he practices tips all the time, like, oh, okay, I get it, but, like, legitimately, he was out there, no joke, easy, easy 15 minutes, just tip, 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 and in San Jose, it was the same way, like, Brent Burns would shoot, like, yeah. 300 pucks at the end of practice and there's Pavelski just tip 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 and yeah, no uh, one sees Colbs? that no one sees that no one sees that stuff that's the yeah. work these guys put in that no one sees you just see the greatness you don't see how much they work at it it's incredible um real quick before I let you go uh your favorite series so far to watch is which one? Ooh, that's a good question I would say I would say so far, I'm, I'm really intrigued and I can't wait tonight to, to keep watching Vegas, Winnipeg. I was so high on Winnipeg going like halfway through the season. Yeah. They came into Pittsburgh, stomped the Penguins. Their team is huge. Like they're just prototypical built for playoff style hockey. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. hand, they just like, you know, the way they structure, they're right on top of you. They smother you. What did Vegas have? 17 shots on goal all game. Like, and then you got to try to beat Hellebuck. Like, I'm sorry. That's, that's what this team does. 
And I'm so intrigued to see how they come in, barely getting in the playoffs, fighting and scratching and clawing, and the coach yelling at them. And, you know, it was a tough month to finish <laughs> off the season for them. They, they get in on game notes, uh, on Chicklet's game notes on our podcast. Me and Merle's yelled at them too and gave them crap because we're on the Jets. We like the Jets. And, and they're back. They're yeah. back, baby. The Jets are back. I'm in, so interested in this kind of, you know, they got stone back. Everything's happening for Vegas. And then, then they have to play this, like, massive playoff structured team that's like built for this yeah and Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing some of the best hockey of his life and all of a sudden as a winner Shifley is looking real good and man Pierre-Luc Dubois looks so good on this team right now this is some of the best we've seen out of him uh okay you're busy uh it's always busy around you so we'll let you get back to it Kolb's always good catching up man and uh love watching you on the magic eyeball keep it up pal (laughs) <laughs> All right, love you, Jeffy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the hunt. There he is, the the great Colby Armstrong uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet, the NHL on TNT, various assorted you know podcasts and social media. Uh, 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 experiences that he uh, that he that he blasts out there. I'm um, I'm really happy with uh, I'm really happy for Colby Armstrong, a talented uh, and hardworking guy. Um, you think of players that deserve it. That guy. Um, so thanks to Colby for stopping by. Uh, again, tonight, here's your, uh, here's your matchups and here's your distribution. Uh, you can watch all of these on either Sportsnet property or on CBC. Tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern. Well, really, 6.30 it all gets underway with the pregame show. Ron McLean is your host uh, for Hockey Central. It is a Tampa Bay Lightning and the Maple Leafs at 7 Eastern. CBC and Sportsnet on 360 at 7.30 Eastern. The Rangers and the Devils. We didn't spend enough time talking about them. Let's let's fix that tomorrow. Uh, the Seattle Kraken and the Colorado Avalanche at 9.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. The Jets and the Golden Knights at 10 o'clock Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. And fingers crossed we get some good old-fashioned playoff overtime. And then later, Elliot and I will do a podcast in the wee hours. And I'll uh, show up looking rough. I assure you, I'll look rough tomorrow. Actually, Toronto listeners, I'll be on BT tomorrow with Sid Sixero and the Stanley Cup. I'll be looking rough. It's going to be a late night. Thanks to Colby Armstrong, Eric Erlinson, Sean Reynolds, Elliot Friedman, and everyone who really tried to make this thing sound and look good. Namely, Matt Marchese, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick. Three big thank yous. Merrick Show back in 22 hours.